Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Come on, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to continue on in our series on the parables, and this morning we're talking about the unforgiving servant. Last week we looked at the two builders, one built his house on the sand, the other built his house on the rock. Both heard the words of Christ, both built homes, both experienced storms, yet one person's home stood, the other person's house came to complete ruin. What was the difference between the two builders? You guys remember what was the difference between the two builders? That's right, one was on the sand, one was on the rock. What was the difference? Between, besides that, it was obedience to Christ, wasn't it? It wasn't just hearing the words of Christ or somehow sitting in a place where Christ's words were coming to you. It was a response to Jesus' words that really formed a basis of foundation that was strong, could withstand the storms. Now this morning, before we even dig into this parable, as we talk about forgiveness... <clears throat> I want to just say two, two quick things and we'll move on. As we talk about forgiveness, and, and I, I realize and as we have a couple hundred people sitting here this morning, there are areas of our lives where God has repeatedly called us to forgive someone. And even as we open this section of Scripture, there could be a, a temptation to say, you know what, I don't care what he is going to say this morning. I refuse to even give second thought because of the pain that's been caused me by this other person or this family or whoever it may be. So there's a temptation there to even shut down even before we start looking at God's scripture. I want to encourage you this morning that forgiveness does not trivialize, trivialize the pain that other people have caused you. Jesus Christ knows the pain of betrayal he knows the pain of abandonment by friends. He knows what it's like to have family turn against him. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to have the religious leaders who are supposed to care for him, watch out for him, to turn completely against him. He doesn't flippantly or unsympathetically talk to us about forgiveness. He knows what it's like, every aspect of it. He's walked it through. He knows what it's like. And so he doesn't trivialize the pain that people have caused us. But secondly, forgiveness, as we, as we look into this, does not mean that we need to go back to the way that things used to be. Meaning this, if we were in an abusive relationship, okay, forgiveness does not mean we... We somehow say, okay, let's just jump right back into this relationship because I'm supposed to forgive. That's the Christian, it's the godly thing to do is to forgive and forget. So we're just going to, you know, this person who's been abusing me or taking advantage of me or hurting me, I'm going to somehow jump back in with them and, and, and hang out with them and bring my kids around because that's the godly thing to do. That's foolish. Forgiveness does not mean that things need to go back to the way that they used to be. Forgiveness means there's a new path open to going forward. And that may look like, hey, things will not be the way that they used to be. We're not going to go back there. 
It's not the godly thing to do, somehow put ourselves into that position. So I want to say that because I want that to season what we're going to talk about this morning. As we talk about forgiveness, I want those couple of thoughts to season what we're going to look at this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 18, series on the parables. We'll be looking at the parables this summer. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a great time together. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And as, as you're turning there, this parable is, is in a greater context. And it's so helpful for us to look at the context as we, as we dig into the parable or the sayings of Jesus. What is the context in which Jesus Christ said these things, right? It helps us to understand why he said what he said. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, Jesus gives us another parable, okay? And it's the parable of the lost sheep. And so... In the parable of the lost sheep, the, the farmer or the shepherd loses a sheep, one of a one of hundred sheep, he loses one, and he diligently pursues and goes after this lost sheep. And I don't want to give too much away in this because I, I think, um, Yemi, plug your ears right now, but I think Yemi may be preaching on this later this summer. But don't tell him that, okay? So Yemi, you can unplug your ears now. So in this parable, though, we can begin to see the Father heart of God. Right? God's heart for the lost, for restoration, for reconciliation is, is evident and clear by what we see in this, in this parable that Jesus tells. God's heart is for reconciliation and restoration. Then we go on to Matthew in, in 18 verses 15 through 20. And here Jesus Christ begins to lay down really some guidelines, some helpful tools for people who are living disjointed or in disunity from one another and say, hey, look, how do we pursue reconciliation between people? The people in God's family, how do, we see, how do we see people come back together again and have restored relationship and fellowship? And even in this, God again is, is showing just his heart, his desire, his care, his concern for restoration amongst people. This is the very father heart of God, that there would be reconciliation, restoration, unity, this is God's heart for his people. And now we jump into the section in, in verse 21. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So here Peter is feeling pretty good about himself. See, the teaching of the day was this, that if someone sinned against you three times that you were to forgive them, but the fourth time that that, that person sinned against you, you were off the hook. You didn't have to forgive them that, at that point, right? Whether it was because that person probably didn't mean it, what they were saying, or whatever the reason was. It was three times, and the fourth time, you're off the hook. So Peter here is coming to Jesus saying, after hearing all that Jesus had said to him about forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and pursuing unity amongst the brothers, and Peter goes to Jesus and says, look, look, Lord, should I forgive him seven times? Like, man, I'm really stepping out on a limb here. I mean, I'm really going... The disciples are probably looking at Peter thinking, man, this guy seven times is, is, almost, is over twice the amount that anyone else would forgive someone. So Peter, man, he's got it going on. Seven times. And what Jesus says to Peter is this. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
completely blows Peter out of the water. Not what Peter was expecting. He was expecting Jesus to come alongside and say, man, well done, Peter. Man, you really got it going on. You must have had a really long devotion today. I mean, your quiet time must have been awesome. Jesus says, I say to you not seven, but 77 times. Now he launches into the, the parable in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it sounds like a lot of money, right? 10,000 talents. We, we really don't have a concept for ta- what, what a talent is. I want to just quickly give you just an understanding of what 10,000 talents looks like, okay? So you have 10,000 talents, right? So one talent was the equivalent of 75 pounds of either silver or gold. And because Jesus is going big on this one, right? So 10,000 was the largest common number in their, in their culture, and the talent was the largest denomination of money. So he's going big. So we're going to go big. We'll say it's gold. So 75 pounds is one talent. Well, he owed him how many talents? 10,000. That's going to be 750,000 pounds of gold, okay? Is that, you guys following me on that? Okay. Now, gold is measured not in 16 ounces for a pound, but troy weight measurement, which is 12 ounces for a pound. So if you take 70, 70, 750,000 pounds times 12 ounces of gold, you get 9 million ounces of gold, okay? Now, gold is valued at currently, at least according to Friday, $1,278 for pure gold for an ounce of gold, which leads us to, to the... The staggering figure of 9 million ounces times $1,278 per ounce, $11.5 billion, okay? If you want to be exact, $11,502,000,000, okay? So this guy, this servant, Otis King, $11.5 billion, all right? Just to give you a little perspective of what 11.5 billion dollars looks like it's greater than the public debt of the entire nation of Mongolia okay so Nara and Dearman that was for you guys the entire nation of Mongolia public debt is about 11 billion dollars this guy owes more the entire than the entire nation of of Mongolia it's it's more than the, the entire public debt of the nation of Bolivia let me give you a little more perspective cuz that's still big numbers, okay? So if you were to stack $100 bills on top of each other, not, not lengthwise, but sta- a stack of $100 bills, okay? If you were to take 11.5 billion $100 bills, currency-wise, and take that stack and turn it on its side, okay? It would stretch from here past Atlanta of $100 bills all stacked together. Not, not lengthwise, but stacked side-by-side it'd go for over 750 miles of $100 bills. That's how much this guy owed the king, okay? $11.5 billion this one servant owed the king, okay? Moving on to verse 25. And since he could not pay, duh, right? And since he could not pay, 
his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So this guy's buying time for himself, right? He says, look, have mercy on me. So what the king orders is this, that you and your entire family will be sold into slavery and then you're going to work for the rest of your life, you and all your family, to pay me back what you, the $11.5 billion that you owe me. And this guy says, look, can you please give me a little more time? We can work this out. This is something that I can, I can pay, you know, there's, there's hope for me to pay you back. Now, let me give you a little more perspective on this. A common laborer, which he would have been, it would take the common laborer in years right, for the, the wage of the day, it would take him years, 164,000 years to pay this guy back, okay? So if this guy worked for the rest of his life for 164,000 years, he would finally pay off that last dollar that he owes the king. If this guy could find a job making $10,000 a day, which would be a great job, if he could find a job to make $10,000 a day, and he was able to save every penny for the rest of his life, it would only take him 3,000 years to pay back. So when he says, can I have a little more time, right? It's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Verse 27. So he's going to be sold into slavery. All his family is going to be sold into slavery. He's going to work for the rest of his life, him and all his family. And this is what we read in 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This would have been the largest forgiveness of debt, I think, in the history of the world, of a single person. This is mercy. This is mercy. This is unbelievable mercy and grace to this guy. He has no hope. He's, he needs to work 164,000 years to pay back this debt. His entire family is going to be enslaved. He's going to go to jail. He has no hope, no future. Him and all his family are lost. And this king has mercy on him and simply looks at him and says, I know you owe me $11.5 billion that you will never repay. And it's completely and utterly forgiven. No strings attached. I mean, surely the king could have bargained for it, like, hey, look, I'll forgive you, but, you know, I need you to come every day and, and you know, do some gardening or, you know, whatever. He, he'd have all kinds of leverage on this guy. Nothing. Instead of prison and jail, his whole family and every debt paid back, he receives mercy. He is forgiven out of sheer grace by the master. It's unbelievable. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So that would have been roughly $5,000, which isn't, isn't pennies, but it's, Compared to $11.5 billion, this guy owes him five grand. 
And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Have patience with me, and I will repay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay back the debt. Does that sound familiar? So he's, he's maybe even leaving the, 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 the master's home and he runs into a fellow servant. He's like, hey, whoa, whoa, hold on a second here, pal. You owe me $5,000. And this guy falls on his knees before this other servant says, please forgive me. I'll pay you back. Have mercy on me. And instead of, this, the, instead of the first servant, instead of the first servant rejoicing in the mercy that he had received, the unbelievable grace that has been lavished on him, he hardens his heart, he clenches his fist, and he demands payment. Can you imagine this? After such unbelievable mercy that was shown to him, he runs into someone he hardens his heart against him, begins to strangle him. This is brutal. Begins to strangle this guy and demands that he pays him back. And of course, the other servants see this. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They weren't just like, oh man, that's too bad for that guy. They're greatly distressed. I mean, this is the largest debt ever forgiven. This is unbelievable. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. This is not, oh, by the way, that guy that you forgave, that $11.5 billion debt. I mean, this word, that they, this word that's used for this report back to their master, it's a, it's a word that's used to say he reported back in great detail. They went back to the master. They were disturbed. They went back and said, Master, you've got to know exactly what happened, what just took place outside. I want you to know everything that just took place. Verse, verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, or another word, torturers, until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And here in this passage, the king or the master is incredulous. Did this really, is this really true? Could this have taken place? After, after the unbelievable, amazing death that's been forgiven you, how could you go out and demand this guy pay you back $5,000. That's why I share a few thoughts on this parable. Number one, we don't like to talk about this. We don't like really to mention this. This is one of those doctrines that as believers, we kind of put it at the back and kind of maybe hope it stays in the basement that no one will ask us about it. But it's so crystal clear from this passage I have to mention this. There is a judgment that is coming. There is a judgment that is coming. There is an urgency to this message that Christ is given. 
that we must respond to. There is an urgency, as Jesus is telling his people this, right? And remember what Jesus has just spoken to his disciples about the Father heart of God. He's speaking to his disciples and everyone listening. Look, there is an urgency. You need to listen to what I'm saying. Don't put this off. Don't wait till later. Listen to what I'm saying right now. And as I think about this, it reminds me of when a woman is, is nine months pregnant and labor comes on and she says, honey, it's time to go to the hospital, right? When those words are spoken, there, it, demands, it demands action, right? It's not time to binge watch Netflix. It's not time to like go make yourself a sandwich, it's, you know, catch up on some sleep or some reading. It demands attention. Whether you like it or not, this baby is coming. It doesn't matter your, your schedule, your timetable, what you had going on that day. doesn't matter what else was on your calendar. doesn't matter what, what you want to do in that moment. None of those things matter in that moment. That baby is coming whether you like it or not. And when that time does come, there is nothing else that matters. Doesn't matter if there's bills to be paid, people to visit, commitments to be kept. That baby is all that matters in that moment. Everything else takes a back seat. In the same way with this, with judgment, this judgment that's coming. There is there'll be a moment in time when there is nothing else that matters. It won't be on your schedule, won't be on your calendar, won't be convenient. It won't be any moment to say, look, hey, let, let me just go take care of a few things first. It doesn't matter. It's coming whether we like it or not, or whether we even acknowledge it or not. Judgment is coming. Number two. Number two. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is available. Judgment is coming, but forgiveness is available. Right? The servant asked to pay. The first servant goes to his master and says, Look, I'll pay it back. The, the master says, No way. Forgiven. Don't worry about it. I mean, the, the, the master has mercy. There is grace. There is, there is a heart that is exposed by the master that says, I am a merciful and gracious and loving master who is eager who is eager to forgive. I just want to read this story about a, a man by the name of George Wilson. 1929, a man named George Wilson robbed a mail carrier and killed him. All right? He's sentenced to die, but he received a presidential pardon. Okay, so he kills a mail carrier, goes to prison, sentenced to death, and he receives a presidential pardon. Now, to the shock of the Oval Office, he rejects the pardon. Right? So this guy rejects the pardon. So now what do we do? Right? Do we kill the guy or do we kick him out of jail? All right? Those are our two options. The President of the United States had set him free, but George Wilson said no. The case went to the Supreme Court and the issue was 
was simply this. If the President of the United States gives you a pardon, aren't you pardoned? Can you reject a pardon given by a sovereign? Chief Justice Marshall rendered the decision at the, at the Supreme Court and it simply said this. A pardon rejected is no pardon at all. Unless the recipient of the pardon accepts the pardon, then the pardon cannot be applied. Unless there's an acceptance of the pardon, the pardon can't be applied. I think in the same way as we talk about this, the servant fell on his knees, he begged for mercy, and receives mercy. But it's not just an automatic. It's an, hey, I don't have to do anything, and I'll just be pardoned. There's a pardon. If you are hearing my words this morning, if you are here this morning and you're hearing my words, there is a, there is a pardon being extended to you by the grace of and mercy of God. This morning, right now, there is a pardon being extended to you. The mercy and grace of God is available. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There is a pardon available for us this morning. We don't have to wait till later or try to figure out some other point. Right now, it's available. He issues, he gives us pardon and says, if you are hearing my words, this is an invitation. Come to me and I will give you rest and I'll care for you and I will give you mercy. To everyone who's hearing this, there is forgiveness available. Number three, this is a hard one. The desire, the desire and ability to forgive is an evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. The desire and ability to forgive is an evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. Right? At the beginning of this, of this parable, in verse 23, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God can be compared to, and he goes on and tells the parable. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the power of God at work in Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, through His people, to restore, okay, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation to creation and all humankind. All of mankind reconciled. Even creation itself reconciled. Brought back, restored from the pollution of sin and all of its devastating effects. Right? The sin that has destroyed and has wreaked havoc on our relationships, and our lives, and in His creation. All that God has done, God's heart and desire is for this reconciliation. We can see that in the verses we talked about. Even in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your, what? Kingdom come, Your will be done. Same thing. The kingdom of God, the will of God, it's God's purpose is prevailing goes on, forgive us our trespasses as we do what? Forgive those who've trespassed against us. This parable really is, it's a picture of the Lord's prayer in some ways. But this forgiveness, this restoration, this mercy, this is all kingdom stuff we're talking about. It's a picture of the kingdom. When we see, when we see mercy extended, when we see restoration, when we see forgiveness, when we see people coming back together again in unity. It's the kingdom of God at work. 
the presence of Jesus Christ himself at work, reconciling and restoring and renewing. God's at work. When we see these things, it is a celebration because the kingdom's in our midst. It's God at work. And in doing this, it's an evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. See, we, de- we can sometimes deceive ourselves. People can deceive themselves when we claim to belong to the merciful and gracious king. Then turn around and place our hands on the necks of our brothers and sisters and begin to squeeze and strangle out the life from them. All the while saying, oh, isn't God good? God's a merciful God. He's gracious. He's been kind to me. And I'm going to strangle the life from you. It just doesn't make sense. And that's why the master calls the servant to account and says, are you kidding me? How can you claim, how can this be? This doesn't happen in my kingdom. Number four. And the last one is this. Forgiveness. Who in your life do you need to do business with? See, Jesus' point of this whole parable, the whole point of this parable is this. Forgiveness of others should be unlimited. Completely unlimited. Without strings attached. Without some kind of bargaining tool using what we have against other people, leveraging what they've done against us, against them, it should be completely and utterly unlimited. Because that is the kind of mercy and grace we have received from our Father. That's the, it has been unlimited, right? The $11.5 billion, it's unimaginable. Utterly forgiven. When we turn to our brothers and sisters and say, you owe me $5,000, we completely disgrace and dismiss the mercy that we ourselves have been, has been lavished upon us over and over and over again. Here's the good news for us this morning. There's still time. There is still time for us as we think about the people in our lives, the family members, the friends, the co-workers, the neighbors, the spouse, the, the children, whatever it may be, who we've built up an account against. And we've said, look, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not, it's too hard. It's too much. It's all the time. It's unrelenting. I can't stand this. This happens all the time. You always do this. What we're doing is we're placing our hands around their neck and we're squeezing the life from them as we demand payment. There's still time. I want to encourage the church this morning. I encourage you this morning. If that is you and you feel like, man, there is an account that I've built, fall on your face before the Lord. Fall on your face before God and do business with Him. Ask Him for the help. Ask Him for forgiveness, for withholding forgiveness. God is eager 
God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. And God will give us all that we need to walk in obedience to Him. This is not a go do this on your own strength. This is completely throwing ourselves at the power and the mercy of God, saying, God, help me. God, I need you. This is too much for me. And God promises to supply everything that we need for this life. Let us be the very people of God who will run to our Father, our Master, our King with arms wide open saying, Dad, help me. I've built an unbelievable offense. I've kept records. I've kept an account. It's been too much. It's been too hard. And I need your help. God promises that he will help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Then we're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus, God, thank you that there is forgiveness available to us this morning. Lord, that we don't have to wait for some other time or next week or later today, Lord. This morning we can receive your unbelievable mercy and grace upon us. And Lord Jesus, where we have withheld forgiveness, God, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us. Lord, forgive me for withholding forgiveness, God. Help me, help us, Lord, to extend your, your unbelievable mercy and grace to our brothers and sisters around us. God, whether that's my spouse or my children or my parents or my coworkers or my friends, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray, help me, Lord. God, I need you. Thank you that your forgiveness is unlimited. Thank you, Jesus, that you have completely and utterly forgiven me. Lord, we love you. We confess our need for you. Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness you've offered to us. In your name we pray. Amen.